This is the Gum Guru with Dr. Macon Singletary from North Raleigh Periodontics. This is a show about keeping your teeth and gums healthy and how a healthy smile affects your overall health. Today's episode is called All About Sleep and Your Health, Your Options, and the New Technology That Can Be a Game Changer. Welcome to the Gum Guru Podcast. I'm Jason Kong here with Dr. Macon Singletary. We also have back in the studio with us again today, Dan Gordon. Very excited to have the two of you with us again. And we're going to be talking about sleep apnea and sleep. This is such an important function for us. And, you know, it's, it's always an interesting connection, Dr. Singletary, the connection between dentistry and sleep, because those are not two things that we tend to put together. Well, you're right, Jason. The thing is, our patients that come in, we look at their medical history, and this is becoming an important aspect of a person's mental well-being, physical well-being, and we do blood pressure, we check medical history, and it really is in our territory. In fact, it's almost going to be mandated, I should say, for a dentist, a healthcare professional, which we are, to question our patients. And if we don't, and we neglect the fact that, oh, by the way, why do you have high blood pressure? What happens in the afternoon? Do you have a dip? Do you feel like you got to take a nap? And it does affect overall health. And so what better individual than us as healthcare professionals to be able to help a patient understand, oh, you know, by the way, you know, does your, has anybody ever told you you snore? You know, that's a very easy question to ask a patient because it does affect gum tissue health. It does affect the cardiovascular system. And so all that goes into overall well-being of the patient. And it's not just in the dental field. The medical <clears throat> field's really picked up on it as well. Um, a, lot of pa- a lot of patients that are going in to see endocrinologists and are being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, obstructive sleep apnea is one of like the primary comorbidities associated with that. And as we all know, like diabetes type 2 is just an epidemic level right now, especially in the adult population in the United States, considering I think two-thirds of everybody in the country is overweight. Yeah, it's scary to think about. And, you know, you mentioned a a few signs and symptoms, and you went through this yourself. One Mm -hmm. of the important questions is, you know, has everyone ever said that you ask, do you snore? And I think a lot of times we get defensive about that. We may be in denial thinking, no, no, not me. No, I, I don't snore. That's not me. Well, you're right. And so <clears throat> I was one of those. And my wife would say, she would hit me and roll over. And, uh, <clears throat> and then the next day, she'd say, you snore? And I said, no, I don't. She said, yeah, you do. And finally, about a year and a half ago, I wake up one Saturday morning with this ugly man snoring in my face on my wife's cell phone towards me. It, <laughs> it was uh, very eye-opening and also very ugly. And I'm thinking, okay, this is serious. And so Dan and I went through sleep seminar with Erin Elliott, who's out west, and she's sort of the guru of sleep apnea, dentist. She's a dentist. And so we went through her seminar a couple of times, and it's insidious. In fact, in my case, I have a lot of energy to begin with, but we were homeschooling our children at that time, and uh, I would come, or previously, and I would come home. I had to take a nap before I sort of come on board and help. Now I got more energy and shake a stick at. I mean, you know, I drive people crazy when I come home, but um, but it's it's important to you know, look for those signs. You mid afternoon dip. You you're driving along and you're falling asleep or you 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 feel drowsy. And those signs of mental acuity or clarity is one aspect of the fact that you're not going through normal sleep cycles. 
And Dan, when we've recognized some of these signs and symptoms, how do we know for sure that there's an issue here? How, what, what is the <clears throat> diagnosis involved? Well, you need to have a qualified medical professional look at you. Now, whether Dr. Singletary being a dentist sort of was like on the front lines, because when you look in someone's mouth, you can see signs of obstructive sleep apnea, whether their uvular is elongated, if they have signs of bruxism, which is grinding your teeth. It's really kind of interesting because Dr. Singletary is a specialist in the field of periodontology. Periodontal disease is inflammatory disease. And obstructive sleep apnea is one of those things that affects hormone levels like cortisol, which also increases other things like interleukin-2, which is an inflammatory mediator. So it's really kind of interesting. Uh, 60% of the people that have obstructive sleep apnea also have periodontal disease. So for the longest time, the large amount of our patient population in the practice had some form of sleep disturbance, whether it was sleep apnea or snoring or something like that. Once we make note of it, and actually I think it was the American Dental Association about three years ago said if we don't make an effort to identify and treat it, we're sort of liable for anything that happens to that patient. So the first thing is to, you know, clinically observe something that indicates there's something going on, whether they're answering the question, hey, do you snore or do you grind your teeth? Bruxism, grinding your teeth is one of those other things. Or if you're already wearing a night guard and you're still tired in the morning, you might need to kind of up it to a mandibular advancement device or it's called a snore guard. I think that's the general term for it. But once you have that, you need to have a sleep study done. Now, a lot of people are kind of hesitant to go get a sleep study at a facility. And I can understand why, because it's a multi-day thing. You have to involve your insurance. It's very laborious and very tedious to get it done. Plus, it interferes with your regular schedule. And it's very hard to fall asleep knowing there's somebody watching you. I don't know if you've ever tried it. It's difficult. (laughs) We found a wonderful way to sort of, you know, circumnavigate that. And we have uh, take-home sleep studies that we give out at the office. And it's very simple to use. We've had 18-year-olds take it. We've had 90-year-olds take it. And basically, it's an effort bell that's connected to a monitor that also is connected to a pulse oximeter. It measures your pulse and uh, the amount of oxygen in your blood. The effort belt that goes around the top part of your chest that holds everything in place um, has a sensor in it that also connects to the, to the module that's recording everything and it measures the expansion and contraction of your chest. In addition, it has a nasal cannula that measures the airflow out of your nose. So you take all that information together and it records it over the course of the night. So whether it's four hours, six hours, eight hours, I think the longest thing I ever slept was 14 hours and I just wanted to be that person. <laughs> <laughs> but um, And then they just bring it back. Now, once they bring it back, we can look at it and sort of you know, give an impression of what's going on. But it actually, we have to send it off to a state-registered uh, sleep physician who actually has a technician score the report, check for anomalous data, and then it's sent to a clinician for interpretation. And they'll look at it and they'll look at things like the AHI, the RDI, the ODI. These, are all, these acronyms are all basically metrics for sleep disturbances and what's going on with your breathing patterns. And they send that information back to us. And once we do that, we have a serious conversation with the patient. A lot of the times, the patients come in, they'll have a mild form of sleep apnea. Dr. Singletary, being patient zero, he was very severe. I think his uh, AHI score was over 49. I can't remember what his, his uh, respiratory distress index was higher than that. And uh, I actually, I recently did mine again with and without my mandibular advancement device, which I've been wearing for on and off for about seven years. And these things are very durable. But I was just curious, how bad was I without a mandibular advancement device? That's one of those things that moves your jaw forward that open up your airway. And my AHI without one was 39, which puts me in the severe category. If I had gone to any other doctor elsewhere, I would immediately been prescribed a CPAP, which is a continuous positive airway pressure, Darth Vader fighter mask thing with the anaconda attached to it. (laughs) 
And um, now, so it was it was really eye opening because I didn't have anyone next to me tell me that I was snoring. I mean, I, my, I have two dogs; they're boxers. They snore louder than I do. At least I think they do. But then after I put my mandibular advancement device back in, I retested myself and I dropped down from an AHI of 40 to 10. So I went from like morbidly severe to barely mild. And the number of apneas I had, uh, I think I had about 60 apneas when I wasn't wearing it. And the average duration was about 45 seconds. So I was spending almost an hour of my night not breathing. I dropped from 60 to two. And the average duration dropped from 45 seconds to right around 10. So very, very effective. Not only that, but I felt amazing in the morning. I cannot stress to you enough, like, there are certain stages of sleep, and it's the uh, stage three, it's the N3 stage of sleep, where you get all the rejuvenation and all the uh, recovery that you get to go through the rest of the day. And it's just absolutely, once you start having that really deep, restful sleep, it's a game changer. Yeah, and so you mentioned uh, a few different treatment options. We heard about the CPAP, the mandibular advancement device that you can wear in your mouth. You know, if I'm someone who uh, it's, it's been found out that I do have sleep apnea, it's been confirmed, do I have a choice in the treatment? Can I say, hey, just give me the mandibular advancement device. I, I don't want to wear a CPAP. Or can I just go straight for the surgery? How does that work? Once we get the AHI score, which before we do anything, that's important. <clears throat> Some patients come in and they I had one 10 years ago, and I have I got a CPAP machine, and really we need to redo that. And it's a real simple test. You take it home. You don't have to go to a sleep facility. But in our office, if there's not a central sleep apnea problem, uh, the mandibular advancement device, Dan's score was high. Mine was the same. When I put mine in, I went down to 14. Now, the, the, you have the mandibular advancement device. You have the CPAP, which a physician should do for you if, if and the other option is a laser therapy for the back of the throat. It's called night laser. <clears throat> and what that laser does, it, it tightens up the collagen in the back of the throat, the soft palate, and lifts it up. It takes about three to four sessions, three weeks apart. It's all predicated upon collagen synthesis and, and the back of the throat opening up that airway. And I've had patients that have immediate effect. The younger you are, the more quicker that, that result occurs. The older you are, it takes a little bit more time. Um, I'm down to 14, and there's nobody around here that can do night lays but me. Dan went with me to Florida where we went through the seminar with, with a, a physician, a doctor down there, and I'm going to let him do me. I'm, I'm waiting to see if I can get below 10 with, with that night laced therapy. But, um, so you have the mandibular advancement device. You have the laser therapy the back of the throat. There are physicians can do implantable devices depending on you know, the, the type of sleep apnea an individual has or the CPAP. And those are things, too. But also, weight loss is a thing. You know, it, it can be anatomical. There can be a nasal turbinate that's deviated. So those kind of things we can help assess and then point the patient in the right direction. Is it a situation where you can graduate up at all? Like maybe I, I just want to try the mandibular advancement device and if I'm seeing I'm not getting results, then I could step it up and go from there? Or, uh, how does that work? Yeah. Usually uh, we'll give the patient the option and you know, they may pick the night lace. Right. <clears throat> and so if they go that route and then we do a test again, um, and usually there's a result enough that they're you know, they're done. In some cases, they still have a little bit of apnea. Then we'll we'll talk to them about, okay, here's the other option, the mandibular advancement device. And we also, 
we'll you know, g- give them a break on that device if we've done the night lays already. And uh, so vice versa, if we do the mandibular advancement device first and we say we get the result down and we're not happy with what we get, we'll give them a break on the night lace therapy. So those two together, usually patients respond. And Dan, can you quickly walk me through the night lace process? Let's say that's the route that I want to go down. What are the sessions like? When do I start noticing a difference? Well, I think it's first important to differentiate between the three different treatment modalities. Night lace is sort of, it's, believe it or not, it's FDA approved for snoring. Snoring is not considered a medical issue. Snoring is considered an aesthetic issue. So insurance does not cover night lays because it's considered aesthetic. Typically speaking, though, when we're discussing with patients, we'd like to have the patient to be candidate for night lays to have a lower AHI score, uh, something between the realm of 10 to 15, to have like mild to borderline moderate sleep apnea. We've seen it be very effective in our office, but at the same time, if someone is severely apneic, you know, between 15 and 30, that's where the moderate range and above 30 is considered severe. 15 to 30 on the AHI score, and we also take into account the respiratory effort-related arousals, which are not quite apneas or hypotenias, but pretty close. They just disturb your sleep. If you're on that 15 to 30 range, the mandibular advancement device is usually something is our first go-to, and that's incredibly effective. And then when the AHI score is 30 or higher, that puts you in the severe range. Now, you wouldn't look, you wouldn't know it by looking at me, but you know I'm six foot five and 270 pounds. My BMI, my body mass index, is 30. I'm clinically obese. I don't look it, but I am. And because that's one of the comorbidities associated with it. Same thing with Dark Singletary. And I, I love Dark Singletary to death, but you know he fall through a crack in the floor. <laughs> yeah. So for him, because his his AHI was so high, we started with the mandibular advancement device. And we did do a couple of rounds of night lays on it. We did get the snoring down. And I'd also like to point out that, like, Monica right now is also in the room today. And she has had the night lays and she has had a mandibular advancement device. Now, after the night lays, she stopped snoring entirely. Dr. Singletary didn't know, but we had a sleep test. We kind of figured it out. And uh, she has uh, an eye wash that has a, a sleep program tracker on it. So... Even though she wasn't snoring and everything else, she still was having some energy problems later in the afternoon. She was feeling tired and everything else. So it was like, can we make a mandibular advancement device for Monica to see how it goes? And it was like, yeah. And prior to her having a mandibular advancement device, uh, her N3 sleep, which was recorded by the Apple program or whatever, it was, correct me, it was like four or five minutes a night. And then after a mandibular advancement device, the very first night that she wore, it was 90 minutes. Wow. So she went from having like four or five minutes of regenerative sleep to having over an hour and a half. And the only thing it took was a mandibular advancement device that you wear. As opposed, and it's very small. It doesn't take any electricity. It's remarkably effective. So typically speaking, and we do refer patients out to sleep doctors. If they are, I would say, severely, morbidly apneic. We had one pa- The average human, I say average, the average adult probably takes about between four and 5,000 breaths a night. Uh, we had one patient that took 300 breaths in a night. They literally took one breath and then did not breathe for 55 seconds and then took another breath. And we directed him to a hospital because that level of morbid sleep apnea, uh, hypertension, that hypertension, stroke, heart attack, I mean, those are all, those are all like knocking at his door. Yeah, that's super scary. So if we have the situation and it's we're, we're not taking the steps to get treatment and maybe we have a restricted airway, what... What does that mean to the average person? And that's like my wife. She, she didn't snore really, 
But when she took her test, her her RDI, her restricted airway uh, value was was high, which means she's breathing, but she's not getting the oxygen that she needs. And therefore, she's not going through the normal sleep cycle. So you don't necessarily have to have a high AHI score. The RDI score, which is, re- records the restricted airway, is important to, to look at as well. And and a mandibular advancement device and somebody like that is very, very effective. In her, it was. Yeah. And again, that's something that we can't know that we have without getting a, a, a sleep study done. Yeah. Very simple to do the sleep study, but the way we do it, I'm not going to sleep facility, and I'm a, I'm a keep it simple guy. It works great. Well, we always leave the show with an action step, so what should we be doing next? Well, I mean, uh, obviously ask your significant other or whoever, you know, do I snore? Ask people who know you, do I snore? Because you may not know it, and you, you may be denying it, but if they say you snore, then go get a sleep study done. You know, there are ways of getting it. We do it at the office. Your physician can direct you the right direction. But um, we will send you home with our device. We won't send you to a sleep facility, which I think that's an advantage. That's good to know, and that's a step that we can all take. That's an easy question to ask, and we should all do that very, very soon. Make sure that this is not something that is affecting you. Well, on behalf of Dr. Macon Singletary and Dan Gordon, I'm Jason Kong. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Gum Guru. If you want to know more about night lays and other ways to treat snoring and sleep apnea, check out Dr. Singletary's website at NorthRaleighPerio.com. If you have any questions you'd like answered on The Gum Guru podcast, send them to contact at NorthRaleighPerio.com.